Hello and welcome to another episode of Everybody Fits Podcast. This week we have Dave with us. Hi Dave. Hello. Or should I say because it's you. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I'm not going to introduce you because I know that you're not afraid of talking. I'm going to let you introduce yourself and tell everybody all about Dave and Mindset by Dave. How long are your episodes? <laughs> um, okay, I'll I'll try to do I'll try to do the shorter version. Um, so hello, I am Dave, aka Mindset by Dave. I there's a rumor going around on the internet that Mindset by Dave is my actual official name that my mum called me at a birth. This rumor is backed up by my mum, or at least a badly animated photograph of my mum that I've done a really great voiceover over. Um, but yeah, so I. I am a mindset coach, but actually, um, I primarily work that nowadays as a mental health educator. So I work for the NHS. Um, I'm currently writing an educational program for mental health for teachers and training teachers within um, Lancashire and South Cumbria for the Lancashire and South Cumbria NHS Trust. Uh, that's kind of my day job. Uh, and I do basically split between that, uh, coaching clients one-to-one, doing private seminars for businesses and a lot of PTs, uh, which is quite nice, especially when I get to do the the body image and eating disorder ones for a lot of PTs, Um, because a lot of PTs, as I'm sure you've talked about on this show, push people towards those behaviours, not intentionally. Um, So that's always terrifying when the PT is there and I'm like calling out various behaviours and wondering whether the PT is like, why did I hire this guy? Uh, and yeah, and the education stuff. And other than that, I also run a online peer support stream on Twitch. Um, so basically three times a week, we have a mental health check-in where people can come along and they can talk about what's going on, what's going on in their mind, what's going on in their life. Uh, they can share the best days, they can share the worst days. Uh, we literally let have what's called an open space. I don't call it a safe space because some to to truly get past mental health stigma isn't always safe. So that's why I kind of messaged Amy earlier today and was like, "Do I need to do trigger warning stuff on this?" You know, it's like because, like for example, you, to some people, if you mention if if calories come up, um, if numbers come up, they can these things can be very very triggering, and I can't control every single person that's in this this group as to what they talk about and actually and also I can't I don't want to police them so so I I just say no graphic detail we so if a person's you know talk, suffered an assault for example they'd say that they had they were assaulted they wouldn't go into details of the assault if someone has an eating disorder they wouldn't go into the details of that and especially if someone's attempted suicide for example they wouldn't go into the details of the suicide attempt but we don't police the topics that people can talk about because basically one of our big aims is to um, is to get rid of the stigma and getting rid of the stigma is as much a within job getting rid of the stigma within the mental health community as it is getting rid of the stigma to those who think that mental health is fake and all in your head so that's what I do uh, how I got into all of that basically I have bipolar disorder and ADHD but they're, they're both fun um, and well they're both fun except for when they're not and then they're really not but then they really are so um and i was bullied in school developed an eating disorder myself at the age of 12 and um basically didn't really understand that or know anything about it properly until i was much later in my life uh retrained started looking after my physical health um in 
when I was in my mid twenties, which just worsened the eating disorder at the time. Uh, the eating disorder in question was non-purge bulimia, and which basically is for anyone who's not unfamiliar with non-purge bulimia, it's alternating between um, binges and restrictions as opposed to binges and purges. And I basically just swapped the frequency from mostly binges, some per some restrictions to mostly restrictions, some binges. And which made it worse, but allowed me to totally and utterly hide it um, in the fitness industry. You know, you just call it intermittent fasting and move on. It's dead easy. And then I, when I started looking after that side of the physical health side of it, my mental health improved quite a bit. And I was running a recording studio as a musician, as a sound engineer at the time, living one, you know, make your passion your job, all that type of stuff. And it just wasn't working. Couldn't make it work. Couldn't, never made it a viable business. And, uh, needed to move into another job that I loved as much as music. And the only other thing I loved as much as music at that time was the gym. So I retrained as a PT and I'm a bit of an obsessive person. You know, the ADHD will do that for you. Um, and I wanted to learn everything about being a PT. I didn't just want to learn how to bench press. I wanted to learn the ins and outs of nutrition, the ins and outs of the mental aspect. Learned all of that. When I was doing my nutrition degree, did modules on mindset and coaching and literally fell into that as if I was born to do it and um, never felt like like that my entire life had prepared me for anything more than that when I was doing that those modules on that course. So then I started sharing my own mental health stuff online and then more and more people gravitated and resonated towards that. So I continued to get additional qualifications in mental health with mental health first aid, suicide prevention and stuff like that. Um, and then the mental health first aid people started including some of my ideas in their text which was quite nice and then the nhs basically i did a few a few free talks for them and uh for you know just in school just sharing my own story at first and then we hosted a podcast ourselves called the mental health family hour over lockdown which they heard and then off hearing that they were like this is really good information we want more people to have this so that was how i ended up in that job i think that's the that's that's the short version as well <laughs> You just had a busy life. Just for you to go off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, when it comes to the mindset training, what exactly is? I know again, this could go off on a tangent for a very long time, but what exactly is mindset training? Easiest way to describe it is personal training for the mind. It's not therapy, um, and a lot of people call me their therapist, and I correct them endlessly i'm like please don't do that because i can totally get in a lot of trouble for that you know i'm not i'm not a therapist i don't claim to be one um in in terms of you think about like what a pt is to a doctor you know your pt a pt is giving you lifestyle interventions that are the the aim of which is to positively impact your physical health and as a result your mental health as a byproduct which is quite nice i do the same i go i talk about lifestyle in interventions rather than kind of like delving fully into people's past trauma and helping them recompile that or whatever we do talk about those things and on a but on a very very kind of surfacey level and but i do deal with things like limits and beliefs i deal with things like reframing behaviors habit forming and all the rest of that stuff and um yeah so it's essentially it's lifestyle interventions and just th thinking about things like having a second set of ears or a second set of eyes on a situation that aren't biased towards it you know it's it's, it's um it allows me to often sometimes see things in a more simple way because i've not got the the context and the baggage that that person's got which um 
if spoken about in the right way, which is important, is communicated in the right way, because obviously if you go in and just say, oh, just do this, it's so simple. Um, that tends to turn a lot of people off. But if you can help that person to see that, the to say basically uncomplicate the things that they're doing. Um, yeah, and, that, and it's and it's I could have, I think, specialized in eating disorders because obviously the a lot of the I've done specialist mindset and coaching um, qualifications for eating disorders. And again, having the personal background with that. And it's ultimately the, you know, the most, the two most important things of helping a person with eating disorder are the knowledge of how to and compassion can, without compassion. So, so much goes wrong. Um, and for a little while, I had a very, well, I mean, I've had, I've, I've had a very, very high success rate with eating disorders all, overall, but there was a short period of time where I ended up with an overwhelmingly high number of eating disorder clients. And I would often work with them alongside a dietitian or alongside a therapist as well. Uh, again, you know, I don't, I'm, ethics are a very, very, you know, big thing to me we were talking very briefly at the beginning about sleeping because i've just been in the land of seven thousand suns iceland you know it didn't ever go dark over there that was one thing that keeps me up at night but uh, I, I i have a very big guilty conscience so if i break my code of ethics i don't sleep very well so i tend to not do that and if i think something's above and beyond me or if i think that it's beyond either my current abilities or beyond what i'm professionally able to achieve i always like to work in response with other people as well and make sure that the person that i'm working with is getting the best possible level of care that they can do mm. no that's all it sounds absolutely fascinating um one of the things that i picked up on when you were talking was you mentioned very very quickly and briefly about um dealing with um beliefs like limited beliefs and and um and i the first thing that pops into my mind then when you talked about working with fitness industry and personal trainers and body image and eating disorders I suppose it's probably quite helpful to have knowledge and and helping people sort of work on their belief system um with do you tend to get a lot of personal trainers that aren't aware about the body image and the effect that they're having and, and have sort of very strong beliefs towards fat versus thin and, and things like that. I mean, what, what's your experience being on that? <laughs> uh, it's, it's the biggest double-edged sword, to be honest. And it's, it's weirdly one of the reasons I stopped working as a personal trainer myself is because, as I said, ethics are important to me, being able to sleep at night is important to me, you know, and, Ultimately, a lot of the tools that work for personal trainers involve it might involve kind of, I suppose, hooking into a person's kind of beliefs and mm. almost kind of playing on those emotions. Yeah. So the idea of someone's worth being related to their weight. Those I don't I, I don't know that many people. Actually, I do, do I know anybody? I don't think I know anybody that does it maliciously. I know a few people that do it because they've been taught like how to write posts that are gonna onboard clients right and one thing that i've been really like i'm like amy will probably attest to this i am shocking at marketing like i don't i don't ever 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 put out requests for new clients or whatever i just kind of like do my thing put out information and let people come to me because the last thing i ever want to do is is make a person feel like their life 
is lacking in some sort of way without my service. And that's ultimately where, how PTs are trained to sell is mm-hmm. that make this person believe that, you know, that they can be better because of your services, that they can, that they can get the life that they want because of their services. In fact, make them believe that they can't get the life that they want without those services, you know? Um, so yeah, there is, there, there are elements of that. What I will say in defense of PTs though, is that the, they are getting a lot better, a lot better. And one of the, as I say, I, I moved away from being a PT myself because I like I, for example, I'll give you a, a perfect example of a post. I was t- I was talking about whilst I was doing a little bit of um, a little bit of weight loss myself, and my my reasons for weight loss these days are nothing to do with um, nothing to do with my body image or anything. I pretty much love my body now. I've been, you know, I've been morbidly obese as the phrase goes and i have been well i was an anorexic and obese obese at the exact same time according to my doctor which was bizarre because at the time i didn't realize that anorexia is a behavior not a size so i was i had the behaviors of an anorexic while still being obese and i have been i've been all of these things and i didn't find any happiness at like the top end and i didn't find any happiness at the bottom end i found the happiness by acceptance so my reason for like my reason for any any sort of weight loss these days is always to do with the fact that you know i'd like to fit in my clothes at the end of a holiday not just the beginning <laughs> it's like and um i know a lot of people are like, just buy new clothes i'm like no i like my clothes so so i'm, gonna, I'm not going to go out and buy an entire new wardrobe for that um i'm gonna you know so i so i diet from time to time for that and um, I put this post and I was, it was kind of like coming against the fact that, you know, like how PTs will be like, oh, tea, there's the valuable weight loss qualities of tea. It does this, it does that, it does that. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It just doesn't contain calories. So if you have tea instead of, you know, a milkshake from Mackey's, you're going to lose weight, not because of the magicness of tea, but because it doesn't contain calories. Um, and I wrote a post in a similar sort of sarcastic vein saying, look, you know, this is one of the things I do is that I, I switch this up. Like whenever I'm, whenever I'm trying to lose weight, all I do is I swap, I swap one of my snacks out in the day or maybe two snacks out in a day for a tea because ultimately it's not, it's not, I'm not craving food. I'm craving something to release me from boredom or I'm craving something to, you know, I'm craving, I call it mouth hunger. You know, I'm cla- I'm craving some sort of mouth feel or mouth taste and tea sorts that out for me. And I basically wrote, this isn't just, you know, this isn't, I'm not going to lose weight because of the magical properties of tea because people sell skinny tea and all of that. I said, I'm losing, I'm going to lose weight because tea doesn't contain calories. And I got a, an inbox full of flame about talking about that because I'd been to, I'd, I'd not really been posting that much fitness stuff anymore. And I'd moved over to posting more mindset stuff. And as a result, you attract more people that are interested in mental health and mindset. And again, as I said before, like talk of calories and everything and stuff like that can be very, very triggering to people. And, um, and that was you know, obviously never might really my intention, but the, like the, the last thing I ever want to do is, is what is make somebody feel worse in order to, get them on board with my services you know and as i say a lot of people if you try and if you try and write things i mean if if you've ever come across the dunn and kruger effect which is like an idea of basically if someone knows nothing they've they're they're like about a subject then their confidence in that their knowledge of the subject is zero their confidence in the subject is zero 
Then they learn the tiniest thing. Herbalife reps, I'm looking at you. Um, they learn the tiniest thing about nutrition or about training, and they become the most confident person to face the planet. And they're like, yeah, you've got to do this, this, this. And they speak in extremes. Like they speak in, you must do this. You have to do this. This is absolutely necessary. And then if you actually listen to a scientist talk about stuff, right, they'll say, well, the current data suggests that this is the way that things might be, but that's based on what we know so far. And there are a lot of different factors that play into this, right? And the problem is between these two approaches, this, we, we can sort of step, when we step back from this, we're like, the scientist definitely knows more about this than the person who's done two hours of herbal life. Um, you know, and bought 6K worth of their product. It's like, and, you know, we can, we can say that the scientist probably knows more about nutrition than this person, but the way they're talking about it is, is in these sort of uncertain terms. And PTs have to use these certain terms. They can't say, if you come and train with me, you might get improvements of this. Weight loss might happen as a result of this, but you might just get that. You, you know, we can focus on different areas and the weight loss might come as a result of that. Or you no, know, wait, they they need to use phrases like, you know, we'll blast your fat, we'll get you your best ever body. For those who are just listening, big air quotes on best ever body. Um, also, whilst it's on my brain, if you want a summer body, you just need to be, it needs to be summer and you have a body <laughs> and you've got a summer body. If you want a bikini body, and this goes to any gender, right? Just slap a bikini on your body and you've got a bikini body. <laughs> That's it. That's the two-step process. It's uh, It doesn't cost any money either. So... So yeah, that's the problem I think that that I have with the fitness industry, and I I I, I sort of sympathise and empathise with them because ultimately, hardly anybody wants to be sold. Um, like hardly anybody want, wants to be sold body positivity, and practically no one wants to be sold body neutrality. You know, like nobody wants to be sold these things. They're not easy to sell to somebody, and ultimately, at the end of the day, a personal trainer is a business, and they need to get clients on board. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a little bit of a catch 22 situation, really. That's so interesting. The way that you've put it about how there's that language and the language is so, so important. Um, uh, yeah, we must do this. You must, and the fat burn. And then if you, uh, you get a, a doctor or, or somebody else that knows a bit more about it, they'll say, oh, maybe it might happen, but it's, it's, it's I think the la language is a big thing in in the way that we speak to ourselves as well I think that's one of the, the biggest thing that I've come across because you'll you'll hear someone saying something and selling something and if you're already in that vulnerable position where you know uh, you don't feel good about yourself in some way be it physical be it emotional be it like any of it and someone can sell you something to make you feel better about that or tell you that if you do something you will feel better about that then then you are going to tell yourself that that is what will be the fix and that is what will be the answer for you um so when it comes to outside of the fitness industry and and you you generally working with people with sort of any kind of mental health issue um because I, I wouldn't even know how to say mental health disorder mental health because there's so many different <laughs> mental health concerns you know yeah you, again you, you, I don't really I don't really police the words because oh here's the thing right like I 
I, once upon a time, I, I, I kept my bipolar disorder from my mum until I was about 25. I went off and got diagnosed on my own. Um, and I, if I tell somebody, if I tell my mum how to deal with my, like, I've got bipolar disorder and she doesn't know how to deal with it. Like when I've had 12 years of practice of dealing with it and I still don't know how to deal with it. It's like, I'm like, how can I possibly expect that? And I think a lot of people do. It's like, we get, you know, we, we t say to somebody, oh, I've got, I've got bipolar disorder. I've got depression, and we expect that person to understand that in a hundred percent. And I'm like, I, mean, I don't, I don't expect that. Um, I know there's a lot of work to be done before we get there. So you know, you won't find me, you won't find me again, police, in any other words. <laughs> well, how do you, how do you find dealing with all of those different disorders then? Because if you, if it comes to like a counselor or a therapist, or they tend to specialize in one thing. Yeah. So they'll be working doing the same not the same thing day in day out but it's in the, the general area of something whereas if you're working with someone who's got anxiety and then you're working with someone who's got like bipolar or you're working with someone who's got a history of abuse or how do you sort of de I don't want to say deal with it but like you you've you, you've got to change so rapidly from dealing with one thing to another. And then then you go into this situation where you're working with the NHS on such a big project. So how are you balancing all of that? Uh, <laughs> terribly. Um, <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, the end of it. So I how i how i suppose i i cheated to get good at things um i ran this project called a life a day and like five years ago four years ago i don't even know now it finished in 2020 there we go so it was three years so i started in 2018 and um my goal was to do a session a free session for a different person every single day for a year on average one a day because doing one every single day is is hard because it involves very good scheduling so some days i'd do like five some days i'd do 10 other days i wouldn't do anything for like two weeks and i by the middle of november i'd done 365 and then i really liked doing that so the following year i did it again because i'm you know i okay i maybe maybe i had some unresolved issues myself at the time and meant my, my need to help people over like overpowered my you know, desire to even look after myself at the time. But the, um, so a lot, of, so the thing is like, that was all done completely for free. And I ended up running it for three years and helping over a thousand people for free. And that like, is not a completely selfless act. Like, first of all, I got immense joy out of doing it. And secondly, I got an, I got a thousand hours of practice, like, a thousand hours of coaching practice from doing that and at very at the very beginning because it was free as well i didn't have this uh, well there's two things one because it was free i didn't have this pressure that i needed to be this life-changing thing it was just it was a free hour where a person can talk about their mental health and they maybe never have before and it was just with someone who's like you know a, a sort of highly qualified best friend kind of thing um there was that and so as a result, I didn't have that pressure of every single session. But at the same time, I did have a bit of pressure because I was wanting, I was only having one hour with each person and like, and, and I wanted that hour to be worthwhile and to make an impact. 
And that, again, it allowed me to kind of see certain patterns. It allowed me to work with a lot of people with different conditions. It allowed me to just get a ton of experience in a really short space of time. And on top of that, I was doing my regular work and my, and my, and my regular clients and still PT in at that point as well when that first started. So that project really helped me. It, it, it basically, no, I don't know, I don't know many coaches that get 365 hours worth of practice on top of their regular job in the first year. You know, it's like so, and 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 that's what that's kind of what I got. And it allowed me to work on the techniques that I know with people. So I'd again, I'd practiced various techniques, I'd practiced various visualizations or you know, belief changes and all that stuff. I practiced all these things. So yeah, that helped a lot. Uh, and the second thing was that as, as being open to learn, like listening, listening to a person's, um, listening to a person's story, listening to their experience, because ultimately their experience is what matters. And that's, that's a big difference between physical health and mental health, right? Is the fact that if, uh, if, you if you, you know if if, if, a di- if a diabetic comes along and to and again um, i'd say to a, nut- a nutritionist or a dietitian but let's say a diabetic comes along to a pt who's done 45 minutes worth of nutrition training and they're like yeah i know how to work with a diabetic and the diabetic goes on to say they feel better and they keep on feeling better and they're not, but their insulin still says it's off or their blood still says it's off, right? Then it doesn't matter if they feel better in that situation. It's, the, it's that insulin level is what needs to be correct, right? Um, now with, with mental health, I don't need to have the right answer. I just need to have an answer that works for the person because it's all about how we feel. It's so if, if somebody... I'm not there trying to cure anyone's depression. First of all, I don't necessarily believe that depression can be cured. Um, I believe it can be managed. Now, at the same time, I would never tell a person to work with me instead of working with a doctor, instead of that, ever. Never, ever, ever. I would never tell a person to come off meds or anything like that. None of that stuff. I would, in fact, always recommend a person to to both speak with a doctor about medication and to you know get therapy if that is something that is affordable to them or accessible to them. This is always this is always a complementary thing. It is to work alongside what you are already doing, and um, that's the whole thing. Is like okay, I so I I know that the person that's in front of me. One of the techniques that I might do is about what's called reframing your thoughts. And reframing your thoughts is what else could this thought possibly mean? Am I have I got into a thought pattern where this where this you know like a, I, instead of a leading me to b always leads me to c now if i talk through that technique with a person that's maybe got anxiety that person can rewire that garden path a little bit over time and you know it becomes a bit easier for them if i do that same technique with someone with ocd the ocd is going to have a lot more of a say in that than i can possibly have so that person i may only get a five percent benefit or a ten percent benefit from that and again this is the way I'd, i would say that to a person if that person came to me and said you know they've got ocd i'll say look here's a technique that will help with that but it's certainly not gonna it's not gonna suddenly get rid of the ocd voice it's not suddenly going to kind of get rid of those type of things it's just going to give you a little bit of a toolkit um for when that voice kicks off so yeah it's been a case about learning about that and the big 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 thing for me that's helped with that has been saying i don't know when i don't know 
So if someone says to me, like I, I spoke to someone with something called intermittent explosive disorder for the like last uh, about two weeks ago, never worked with that before. I've, you know, I've, I, again, I work, I've worked with people with dissociative identity disorder and with a person with dissociative identity disorder that what some of the techniques might be taken up really well by one of their alters and not by a different alter. And so it's a learning experience for me along the way as well. And it's just, yeah, it's putting my ego to one side, which, you know, I do have one, <laughs> but it's, it's putting my ego to one side. It's learning from the person that's in front of me. It's not making promises that I don't think I can, I can back up, uh, you know, and it's, yeah, doing as best a job as I possibly can do and knowing that that's sometimes, you know, again, but making sure it's never with stuff that would make the person unsafe. Mm. Would you say it's interesting what you said about giving people the tools um, and, you know, something like depression never really goes away. Would you go as far as to say, that's probably quite a broad statement, but with mental health, it, it kind of, certain things don't ever as you say don't ever go away they're always you know for things like you know you you talked about an eat, eating disorders um yep. and i know amy has been really open about about um hers as well and um you mentioned about dieting and and how how does that affect you on a personal level with with kind of dieting and then also having experience of an eating disorder do you find that yeah. just all the work that you've done it helps yourself? yeah yeah 100 um it helps with like so it helps with things like like i know that my reasons for wanting to eat are are very rarely hunger. <laughs> it's like there may be the hunger, but not necessarily for food. Hunger for recognition. Um, <laughs> but um, or boredom's a big one for me. Um, and also one. I so so listen to this book uh, about three months ago called Dopamine Nation by Dr. Alan Lemke, and basically so it talks about addiction and um, and and the idea that essentially you know we're, we we always try and hide our feelings we try and we try and mask our feelings and like for me from the age of 12 food was a way to mask my feelings when i was older than that alcohol became a way to mask my feelings drugs became a way to mask my feelings pawns become ways to mask my feelings games have become like like binging games on um, playing video games to the point at which i'm forgetting the time or whatever um you know even self-harm and all like literally uh, practically every way a person can try and mask their feelings and um and one of the big things i learned from that book was the fact that I, what, what all i'd done really is move i, I moved down the kind of pecking order in, in terms of how dangerous these behaviors were so i'd moved up that pecking order as a kid you know food did it at first and until it didn't um then alcohol did it until it didn't um actually probably porn came in before that i mean i was a teenage boy so it was like um and then you know video games definitely came in before that as well but like the big ones being that food the food did it till it didn't alcohol did it till it didn't drugs did it until it didn't self-harm did it till it didn't and that was you know i was always moving up the pecking order of that and you know so one of the things i talk about with clients is the fact that the unmet need is actually quite is important we're not trying no one's trying to have an eating disorder no one's trying to have a drug problem or a drink problem they're trying they're tr they, in fact actually these things aren't problems these things are solutions 
There's solutions to whatever, but there's solutions to unmet needs. There's solutions to what you are feeling. Um, you know, I grew up in a reasonably traumatic environment and in the fact that, you know, my, my dad had left when I was six and wasn't particularly supportive of me in the slightest. Um, like, you know, I, he was the person I actually went to when the bullying started and all he had to say was, how can you possibly get bullied? Look at the size of you. So thanks, dad validation 101 uh, and my mum was running a business to try and keep a roof over her head at that point and I just she never told me I couldn't ever have her time but I just inferred that you know like um from what was happening so that hence you know 14 years old going and getting diagnosed with bipolar on my own so and I was getting heavily bullied in school and then and then randomly assaulted just outside of school by people that don't know me so my brain just literally had me believing that I was a target I was a victim and so I was trying to hide all of that I was trying to cover all of that and I still have you know discomforts in life not to that level um although that being said our adult brains can you know it's just different discomforts <laughs> and um and sometimes my brain still wants to use food or wants to use alcohol or wants to use drugs in order to you know to cover those things um and so, so there's a big difference I, 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 when I find myself saying I need a drink or I need some food or whatever. I mean, I, I need some food. Definitely. It's like, you know, it's, there's hunger versions of food that does exist. Um, then I maybe question that and I maybe delay that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, cause I, and if I find myself saying I want, if I want a drink, I have a drink. If I need a drink, I try not to have a drink. And it's it's about managing that. Now, after going back to the book, because I realize I've I've set about four loose ends open there. But the book talks about talks about instead. So what I would have done, sorry, I'm I'm gonna get around to this eventually, is so I call all of those behaviors boomerangs. A boomerang is something that goes forward only to come whipping back. So you eat food for stress relief. You are going to relieve stress for hmm, the first time you do it, maybe about two hours. The 50th time you do it, maybe about four seconds, right? But you're going to relieve it. You're going to get that little, that serotonin hit. You're going to feel that stress relief for like a brief period of time. That's the boomerang going forward. Then you're going to feel more stressed afterwards because you're probably going to beat yourself up about it. You know, you might, if, if, if you have got anything like diabetes or anything, it might really set your kind of body functions off. Or, you know, someone's got IBS. Yes, for example, that can really impact that, which can, in, you know, IBS works in a two-way street with your stress levels. So all of those things, generally speaking, you, you eat the food to get away from stress, then the food comes back and you're more stressed. You do the same. You drink to escape from the pain that you're in. You escape from it whilst, whilst you're drunk. And then when you come down, you've got a hangover, you've got all the pain you were in before. That's the boomerang coming back. Absolutely the same with drugs. You know, you escape, you know, quite readily with drugs and then you come down and then you've got all the pain that was there is still undealt with. And I, my whole point was trying to move people over from those boomerang behaviors to what I call slingshot behaviors. And a slingshot behavior is a slingshot. It's the opposite to a boomerang in the fact that you have to pull a slingshot back and put it under tension first. It's hard work before it flies forward. Practically every good habit that we do is a slingshot. It takes effort. Going, you know, going to the gym takes effort for the vast majority of people. The reward comes later on making a nutritious meal it takes effort often quite boring you know it's like it's like and then the the reward comes later on you know the reward might come two weeks in the future the reward might come 10 days that's basically two weeks 10 months you know whatever and that's the whole thing i i worked a lot to help people move from those boomerang behaviors into a slingshot behavior so realize what the unmet need was and meet that need another way and one thing that i've recently started doing based on or based off this book is actually saying, can I just sit with that need being unmet? 
like do i need to because even choosing one of those choosing choosing one of those better behaviors means that every single time that there's a problem i deal with the problem and make it go away because i can't sit with the feelings and yeah so basically if i found myself craving food when i was trying to lose weight i might i might go and play a video game or do something else to distract myself from that it used to be go for a walk but you know if you do that too many times you end up kind of reducing your calories too much and then increasing your calorie burn too much and then the next thing you know you wake up six months later and you've checked yourself in the mirror 47 times before you've even gone out the house that morning those things sneak up on you so i try not to use like going out for a walk as a way of doing it now uh, but i would literally try and deal with those feelings in a different way than than the way than the food or the alcohol or whatever it might be since listening to that book i was like whatever just sit with them and the thing is they weirdly if you a lot of the times if you just sit with them and just and it's there's a, there's a poem i've got on the internet somewhere called you are not weak and it says you are not weak the journey is just difficult right mm -hmm. it's and it's it, that's the whole thing is most people that come to me think that they're weak they've got those beliefs in themselves that again why i can't market to people to say yes you are weak and i'm going to make you strong it's like no you're already strong you're just dealing with a lot of hard shit and it's like so and that's the point is the fact that in that it's at the end of that poem is the journey is difficult yes it is true but you are formidable and there's nothing you can't do and we learn we either learn to give in to all of these things or we learn to let them pass a lot of our emotions do come and go and pass a lot of our feelings do come and go and pass some of them linger around forever and you know yeah okay we might need better ways of dealing with them and again that might be more that might be more the line of the work of a therapist rather than me but it's okay can i sit with this and be okay with it and then and you know if i do if like that craving feeling it's like i'm not craving food i'm craving what food brings me i'm, I'm craving a reward i'm craving a stress relief i'm craving you know an escape i'm craving a relief from boredom i'm craving something and if i sit with those feelings for sometimes a really short space of time even they can go away and the, the beautiful thing about that is when you get if you get good at giving in to those cravings they're quicker like you to the, the desire to give into them gets quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker if you get good at sitting with them the actual length of time they last gets shorter and shorter and shorter and uh and you start feeling instead of feeling like someone who you know your mind controls you you do feel a little bit more in control of your mind and it does feel a little bit badass it's quite nice um but then you know six weeks later you give into the food or the drink or whatever i don't know it's um but yeah it definitely helps and i don't go down the all or nothing route that i used to um i would i don't have I don't have binges or straight up restrictions anymore. I will not put myself through heavy restrictions anymore. And um, and the big one for me is have like, you know, the joke I made before about measuring myself like 46 times before I leave the house in the morning. That's the one I need to stay away from because I'm sometimes okay at using weights and measurements as a piece of data. And other times they rule my entire head. And this is, by the way, true about the numbers on the scales or the numbers on my social media posts. <laughs> it's like I learned about a year ago that uh, that running a social media account in this day and age feels a hell of a lot like body dysmorphia does. But um, <laughs> exact same thing. 
what does mm. that number make you do? If that number makes you desperate or despondent, then stop, then stop looking at that number. You know, and that can be the scales or that can be how many likes you've got on Instagram. I think I've realized recently for talking about social media, it's that um, need for validation. And I think that for me, like if I'm going through stuff with family or if I'm not getting the validation from from that side of things, I then get more obsessed with um yeah, I'm being a bit too honest and open here, aren't I? That's <laughs> everyone listening. But like, I, I get too obsessed with the um, with the numbers because it is. It's just, and it's that. It's it's looking at like, right? I don't need the numbers. I need the validation. Okay, where can I get the healthy validation from somewhere else? That's actual. That's real. That's more yeah. real. That's more meaningful. Um, it's it's really interesting. If you strip it back. To, yeah. to see what you need it's um it's I, I like to say that people people aren't attention seekers people are connection seekers but you need attention mm. to get connection you know like i can't connect with you until i've got your attention it's yeah. like you don't really want someone the same as like mental health awareness we don't really want people to be aware of mental health we want people to connect with people that have got mental health we want people to to be mindful about how they treat people we don't just want to go okay depression is a thing sweet we know that now yeah. we're not going to change anything we want we want the awareness to meet to equal a change in the way that people treat a person with depression yeah. and i think like every like i i like to argue that if someone puts something on social media it's done for attention and that's not necessarily and, and i mean anything because and, and that's okay by the way mm -hmm. it's like because it's like it's and everyone's like, oh no i'm not doing putting it for attention it's like yes you are it's just what you want to do with that attention it's like, you know, people might put, say, well, I'm putting the pictures of my baby up because then that's the way my family see them. It's like, so make a group WhatsApp group, you know, it's a family WhatsApp group if you want, only want, if that's for your family. If you're putting them on a public social media platform, you want more people to see them than, the, than those four people that you're talking about. And that's okay. It's um, it's just a case of what you want to do with that attention. Mm -hmm. But I, my frustration with social media can sometimes come from exactly that, what you just said then about the validation thing. It's like, if mm -hmm. I'm feeling... Yeah, um, but my big issue with social media is the fact that um, controversial, often harmful opinions and hot takes and all that stuff spread like wildfire. And I put out a lot of extremely helpful mental health stuff. That is all stuff that I wish someone had told me sooner. And it doesn't really go anywhere. And uh, it, it, like none of it ever goes anywhere, and it frustrates me. It like frustrates me a lot because again, I could get the validation quite easily, but if I just talk about how I'm feeling that day, if I put a post up saying that I'm feeling absolutely rub rubbish and all the rest of it, um, that'll get a lot of engagement, and it'll get you know it'll get a lot of interaction, and that's great. But it's like again, it's like well, that. So that's great, and it's nice for me to get that. It's 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 validating. But ultimately, um, I don't have a social media account for people to validate me. I'd put, I, 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 the saying I like to use is I'm not here to tell you how amazing I am. I'm here to show you how amazing you are. Like I want, I want other people to learn these things and I have not figured out and I want them to learn it for free. I don't, I was like, I don't want to do it as a way to get onto my 12 week course. I don't even have a 12 week course. It's like, I, you know, I want, I want people to learn these things. And I want them to learn it for free. So I get, yeah. Um, but, but the social media thing, like really kind of hit me during during lockdown is the fact that because I post to like six different sites and then I would literally just be on a 
on a loop going around, not just checking one, checking the next one, checking the next one, and then you'd be back around checking the first one all over again. And a few months into that, I'm like, wow, this feels a hell of a lot like body dysmorphia did, where I just check the scales or I yeah. check my measurements or, yeah. you know, and then it, it'd be because it'd lead to a different behavior that would come afterwards. Mm-hmm. So like if those, if that post wasn't doing as well as I wanted it to, what would I do? Well, I might write a more controversial post or I might write a more attention grabbing post or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's a messy world, social media. <laughs> It's that all or nothing mindset, isn't it? That that tends to come with ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> if only, if only I could like, you know, I feel people keep on telling me that I should schedule my tweets because I either have a lot to say or nothing. Yes. And and the worst <laughs> yeah. one that 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 and bipolar at the same time is with the bipolar, when I'm manic, I think that everything I've, I, well, basically the way I say it is I, when I'm depressed, I think I'm shit. Like, and everything I say is shit. When I'm manic, I think I'm the shit. It's like, you know, it's like everything I say is pure gold. So yeah. I, and it's, it's funny how I can like, I can record videos. I can record videos whilst I'm depressed and stuff. And I can just look at them and be like, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And then a few days later, I'll watch the exact same video when I'm okay. Or even particularly if like if, if, if I go into like a, a manic period, I'd be like, that's the best thing ever and posting it. And it's the exact same video. It's like self-criticism. A lot of self-criticism. So when you're talking about your bipolar there, how do you how do you manage with work and when you're having an episode, whichever way the pendulum swings? Because yeah. it must be difficult to to be manic and be working it must also be difficult to be depressed when you're working but also how do you because you're very vocal and very open about it on all of your social media and all of your platforms and um, and I don't know about you but for me whenever I have been open about anything to do with my mental health or my eating disorder or anything I actually find that the response is much more positive from people than I think. I think the the fear of talking about it is worse than actually talking about it because you think you're going to be so judged for it and so criticised when actually people appreciate the honesty. Yeah. Yeah, wow, that was that was a really tough lesson to learn probably about four years ago. It was definitely, it was probably 2018, 2019. It was, you know, before the whole world changed. Is um I'd been I'd been only posting like tips and stuff, and I'd not and I'd only been share if I'd ever shared about myself, it'd be like, here's a lesson I learned from my depression, or here's a lesson I learned from this. It was never whilst I was actively in. Um, a whilst I was actively in like a depressive period I'd often share while I was in a manic period not that I was in a manic period but just share whatever was on my mind at the time and um, but the depressed stuff I'd be like right I've you know got nothing to say here um, and about it was around about November I think I think probably November 2018 um, when I was at the old gym in between clients it was freezing and um, and I was feeling depressed and I, well, I'd been depressed for, for days at that point. And my clients had always been, I, I'd, I'd apologize to a few clients and said, oh, I'm so sorry about like, you know, the, how, the, how the sessions have been the last couple of weeks as I've just been really not feeling myself. And then they were literally all like, honestly, if you hadn't, you just seem like you, like, if you hadn't said anything, I wouldn't have known. 
and um you know that's and, and but i'd been feeling like dreadful about it anyway and i posted i was just like posted this raw honesty of how i was feeling and it was and it, the the response i got to it was like just obscenely validating it was just amazing and it made that that gave me a lot of like that instant sort of dopamine which kicked in with the adhd which i didn't know i had at the time but um, but but still it was like that that kind of if things are going well in like and and, and the things that you know goes those rewards are coming in i can just keep going like when i was doing a life a day i did 16 in one day once back to back like 16 consecutive hours uh, I only did that once, um, but and, and, I, and I remember doing one where I did, I think I did, I did like 10 in a day and then the following morning flew off to a friend's wedding. And then I, throughout the whole of the, the wedding was just like, because people knew that as what I was doing at the time. It was like anytime there was any downtime, I was, there was a queue of people at this wedding, like waiting to come and speak to me about what was going on in their life at the time. And I just bloody loved it. Like when it's working, it's working. And, I can, and, and, and the problem for me with the mania side of it, it's not when I'm in it it's what happens when it comes out of it because I will expend energy that I do not have you know like it's like having a kind of monster in the middle of the afternoon and then thinking that you've given yourself energy when really you've just blocked your ability to know that you're spending energy it's like um so that's the worrying part there but the big thing I had to learn with the posting about it or thing was that it's very validating for other people and a lot of people feel and, and, and engaged with what you're saying when you're being open about it and um, and people will be quite rewarded of that. But and that's the thing. It's like it, I, it's I do want things to do well on social media, but I also don't want to utilize my own mental health in that way. So I I sit with them now, and I and I I sit to myself and say, look, again, just like before when we said not just sitting with the feeling am i writing this post because i want to give some insight to another person that might be feeling depressed out there or am i writing this post because i know that once i hit send that that those responses are going to come in and those responses are going to you know they're not going to fix my depression right now but they perk me up a little bit they'll give me a little bit more energy they'll give me a little bit more momentum and if i realize that i'm doing it for that second reason I won't post it or I'll say, you know what, I'll write the post and I'm going to sit on the post until I'm more empty. Because if it is about to, to teach somebody like to teach other people, then I can, if I, if I release that post two days later or four, a week later when, when my own episode is, is cleared, then it's still just as valuable. So I try not to do, post it like whilst I'm feeling that way, unless I say I'm looking for that validation right now. And I go, am I okay with the fact that I'm looking for that validation right now? Because there's no, there's no, you know, there's no harm in that so long as that's not my response every single time. Because I, this, this, I'll try and get the words in the right order with this, because I got into a period of questioning whether sometimes my brain would throw me if if my social media wasn't engaging enough. I sometimes wondered whether my depression would be like, you know, here you go, Dave. I, I know what we can, I know we can fix this. If I get you depressed, you write about it. There's your engagement. Cause I won't do it. I won't do it when I'm not depressed. I won't write. Oh, I'm so depressed. And I'm not going to, you know, because you know, I'm not really using my mental health in that way, but I will while I am and I'll get that response. And sometimes I was just like, well, if that's what my depression is doing, then I'm not letting it, I'm not letting it do that. You know, I'm not, uh, cause, cause this is the thing you, you know, your depression, your mental health, 
or she does you everybody's every single one of us has mental health not every single one of us has mental illness um but just like every single one of us has physical health every single one of us has mental health yeah so the whole one in four statistic is a little bit misleading you know with that we all have mental health um and some of us have mental health conditions that the easiest way to describe those conditions is like the world's slickest lawyer trying to get a criminal off you know it's like and and that mental health will talk to you my, my depression wants to keep itself alive my my depression isn't trying to keep me alive it's trying to keep itself alive my anxiety is not trying to keep me alive it's trying to keep itself alive it's trying to and and the only way it can be exist is if i continue to be anxious or if i continue to be depressed so the voice inside my head you know your your thoughts first of all you don't have to believe every single one of them that you have you can treat them like a bunch of mates chatting away down at the pub and disagree with some of them and agree with others it's a wonderful thing to learn but um but yeah is knowing that is knowing that your condition is going to try and run the shots you know it's and and staying away from that i've forgotten the initial question (laughs) so i can't make this into a nice tidy conclusion that's fine i think i think you answered the question in talking about it but we just kept talking it's great an amazing guest to have on because you don't really have to say anything do you just you're like a firecracker great maybe everyone maybe everyone we interview should have adhd and it'll just keep them going I was going to say, from hosting my show, it really makes it makes it really interesting, really easy. Like, to, but it's very hard to get a one-hour conversation with 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 other neurodivergence. We uh, we uh, we go off with all the tangents. It's a. Uh, I think uh, when you're passionate about something, that's it. It's like you yeah. go off on one and yeah, it could talk for yeah. hours and hours and hours. Um, yeah. So without sort of pushing the boundaries of your ethics are there any any people like is there anyone that you've worked with in particular because it must be such a fulfilling thing to do it must be because you get to see you're actually making a big change in someone's life and and as trainers we get to see people change mentally and physically and I think from for me it's always the mental aspect that is the most rewarding because that impacts them so much more is that are there any stories that you would have where you would say it's something that stands out that you are more proud of the actually allowed to hold on a second I need to to think of who's given me permission to share their stories now because because um Again, the, the 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 when I did the a life a day thing, there were three big rules. When number one was that um, it's completely confidential; you will not find your story popping up in a blog somewhere, um, on a, you know, or anything like that. And uh, um, number two was I won't try and sell you anything at the end of this call, which was nice because I don't like selling people things anyway. But uh, and then number three was I will do my best to help you as much as I can during the course of the hour. You're not just going to get you know, you're not just going to get a teaser. You're going to hopefully get and. Um, and but a few people were like, look, I know you said I could, you got like you're not you're not going to put this anywhere, but I want you to because I want you to be able to, um, I want you to be able, to, I want people to know what they can get through this stuff. Um, so I I still think of it's it's I don't have that many people that I speak to all that regularly because I like to kind of make a I like to make an impact uh, and then 
uh, and then like I like my the, I like the calls to be about impact and I like the changes to be about impact and I, I'm not I'm not a huge one for for like maintenance of like doing a weekly check-in and all that stuff uh, but I do have one that is is we, we do we still do monthly check-ins now because I was just like look you're just paying me to come around and chat and be your friend now <laughs> which i'm like i just again ethics i'm like if that's what you want to do okay and as soon if there's ever anything you want to work on outside like you know please do uh, but it's a lady called Catherine, and um she's she's been on my podcast and told her story so and so again i know i can i know i can share this one and um she is she is currently four and a bit years alcohol free and um literally we um we we didn't we didn't work on the alcohol straight away because she didn't want to we were working on getting her moving a bit more getting her like exercising getting her food a little bit right and really it was down to it was anxiety in particular around travel and, and social anxiety and the alcohol was a little way of masking a lot of that social anxiety you know but again often made it worse uh, because two drinks helps the social anxiety, helped their social anxiety calm. Seven of them made her say things that she went on to ruminate over for six months afterwards, or possibly even longer. And um, so anyway, so, so and the, but the thing was that once she drank, it was it was drinking a lot. And I said, right, look, you don't have to you don't have to stop drinking. All you have to do is um, is is tell me when you want to drink, when you're when you're having a drink. That's it. I, I want to know at the end. I want to know at the end of the day, uh, like how many drinks you've had, and that's it. Just want you to tell me. Um, and we worked on a lot of again alternatives that she can do to drinking. And one day, she sent me a message that says zero drinks, and we'd not had we'd not had a zero drinks at all. We'd had maybe a two drinks or a four drinks. And I was like, okay. We'll get you know this i i literally remember like running like around the london in the house just like dancing around because I'm, I'm a very enthusiastic person i was just made up about this and um i, I know exactly she it, it was on it was on my son's birthday as well this day <laughs> so that um that she that she um basically went her first day without us without a drink and that was four and a half years ago and she's not had a single drink since not 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 another not a single and she's been through a lot and obviously the pandemic's happened since then and um yeah she's an absolute she's an absolute legend and there's another one person that i will that i will mention this this is a bit of a this is a bit of a double-edged sword for me this is um and it's again like it, it because again it, from the from a kind of being good at your job point of view it's nice but it's it was all it was the fact that this person that i was working with was a guy um, a guy in boston and um basically came on for one of these one of the life of day calls and 45 minutes into the call he goes to me he's like i've been working with a dietitian for 18 months and a therapist around his nutrition and around his eating disorder for three years and he was like, and you've just helped me more in 45 minutes than they have done in that time. And we had him intuitive eating within two weeks. And um, yeah, it was pretty cool. And he's gone on to um, be a coach himself. And like, it's, it's funny because America like has like, <laughs> America has like so many much higher standards in terms of like, you know, to, to become a coach over there. So he's got like two degrees and a master's and all sorts he's like in nutrition and stuff he's like way more qualified in nutrition than i am and um but yeah he's uh, gone on to be a coach himself and yeah it was great so That's yeah incredible. there's been those 
Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. Like both both stories, absolutely incredible. And you're saying that you've had a thousand calls with different people in the space of three years. I can only imagine the number of people that you've gone on to help, myself included, because I, I've I've spoken about how I've done coaching before, and um, I've not actually said on the podcast yet, but this is how we met. You started co- coaching me, and I think you were probably the fourth person to find out when I fell pregnant through IVF because you were the only person that knew we were going through it. You knew before my siblings knew, my husband's siblings knew. I'm not um, going to cry about this one while I'm on your podcast, but I'm close. I was but, like, yeah. But had that you was not... one of my happiest moments as well, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> but had you not have been there because you initially started working with me, helping with, with my eating disorder and then with my anxiety with you took me you basically carried me through the IVF process because we were going through a global pandemic and we had no support there was no emotional support there and just knowing what you you did for me and I I just know how many other people you you have helped and and you're amazing I couldn't have done it without your support and (laughs) And to this day, my husband's still like, you're going to have a session with Dave. If I'm like even a little bit anxious or a little bit stressed and I can start to feel those triggers, that is his first go-to. It's not, you know, do you want to have a sit down? Do you want to talk about this? It's like, go and talk to Dave, talk to somebody else. <laughs> you know, he'll, he'll sort it out. So yeah, you are, you're an amazing person and you can see by how big things are getting for you you know going from starting with a few clients to now having a flipping contract with the NHS that's huge and I'm I'm very proud of you and I'm sure you're going to go on to do many other things and help other people and a huge thank you for coming on and talking to us because we've hardly had to say anything yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you so much it's um yeah tell, tell us I mean we'll pop it in the show notes but tell us where people can find more about you okay uh, I've made this super easy it's mindset by Dave everywhere so and, and the and the other thing I say is you don't need to follow me in more than one place really because unless you really want to because it'll help with my numbers and we all know that numbers um but but basically as I post the same content so everywhere so um so twitter instagram tiktok uh youtube all of them things are forward slash mindset by dave with the exception of tiktok which is forward slash at mindset by dave because of the way they do their usernames but um but yeah and then my podcast used to be have a really funky name which was master the mind master anything but no one ever searched for that so I changed it to the Mindset by Dave podcasts, and uh, and then Twitch is the other one that I really. If people are on Twitch or if you've, if you've never heard of Twitch, Twitch is primarily a video game streaming platform. That's what it was designed for. I don't care what it was designed for. What we use it for is mental health peer support, and uh, we do a four-hour stream on a Tuesday um, in the day, um, a two-hour stream called Fill Your Cup Thursday on a Thursday. Uh, which is basically we have coffee and conversation and then we do a small one a three-hour stream on a friday morning 
uh, and basically the person can come in and chat to me can chat to the community they're in there the community is amazing like they've got i've met so many lovely people through that uh, i've got some moderators that are like literally they, they, they say almost the exact same things that i do now it's like it's like and then sometimes i'll be like i'll answer a question and scroll down and then realize that this way this t-shirt that i'm says that i'm wearing says behind on chat because i'm usually about 20 minutes behind in the conversation mm-hmm. uh but yeah that's twitch.tv slash mindset by dave and then that's it that's like if you if someone wants essentially to get my advice for free well completely free i don't know why i said for free as if it's like a big question mark completely for free then they just stroll along to there the only different you know the, the thing is you'll be getting it in front of an audience but um you can use an anonymous name or anything it's cool so yeah that's my that's my favorite place to interact because i as i i like to go quite deep and i like to talk a lot and that that place gives me the opportunity to talk for four hours <laughs> at a time um so yeah Brilliant. I'm sure, well, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of new followers after this podcast goes out. But thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, Dave. I know you're a very busy man. <laughs> Always got time for you. <laughs> I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.